Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. To the highway, in a brand new day. To open the voice gate for December 16th, 2021. We are members of the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. You can find us on the Voices of Wrestling Network feed or on our own dedicated podcast feed on all podcast platforms and applications. You can follow us on Twitter at OpenVoiceGate. If you'd like to donate to the show, just click the link in the show notes. It'll take you to our red circle landing site. You click the red box that says sponsor this podcast. You can set up a one-time or recurring donation. No obligation whatsoever, but we'd like to thank all of our previous donors. I'm one of your hosts. It's your old pal. I'm Mike Spears. Join alongside, as always, my co-host, our friend Case Lowe. And Case, as weirdly as it sounds, we are approaching the last week of Dragon Gate's uh, 2021, and then we go into the uh, quiet period for a little bit. Uh, How are you feeling about this kind of creeping up on you? Because it definitely kind of hit me yesterday that Dragon Gate's year is practically over. Well, it was 60 degrees in Chicago yesterday, and so the idea of it being the end of the year isn't sinking in at all, whether that be with real-life festivities or with Dragon Gate. So it hasn't it hasn't quite hit me that we just went through our final Corgan Hall show of the year. It hasn't quite hit me that Final Gate is a week and a half away as of the time we're recording this. This is all going to sneak up on me, and possibly by the time we're in the midst of recording this podcast— it will have really hit me. But right now I'm not in that mindset at all that we are just about done with this year. I I feel like that's something throughout Japanese wrestling though. It's almost like that the last 20 months have been like forever basically. And it's just like, yeah, months have changed at least in terms of like the wrestling industry, but it usually have like the giant star in the sky of January 4th. And now I'm like, Oh, that's coming up. That's a big date for Japanese wrestling, I guess. Uh, okay. Whereas in the past, I don't know if it's more because of, you know, entering year three of COVID stuff or if it's just like just a general heat check. But I, I have to feel like that, at least for me personally, the fact that I guess like as the market leader goes in Japan, goes the rest of the promotions in a way, just kind of feels like a very quiet time and doesn't feel like the end of the year because of that. Well, 
Yeah, I'm much more excited about January 1st this year with the Zero One show, which, like clockwork, every single year, the main event of the January 1st Zero One show is a four and a half star match that everybody labels an early match of the year contender, and then we all forget about it by the end of the year. Nobody ever votes for it. It never pops up in Voices of Wrestling match of the year tracking, but we all celebrate zero one more often than not and typically it's masato tanaka having a four and a half star <laughs> match to start the year and we go all right wrestling here we go bust out the spreadsheet get out the notebook we are back baby and then this year we have the noah show as well which you know i i, I have a complicated relationship with pro wrestling noah that's been detailed on this show many times but i'm at least excited about that show i saw the full january 4th january 5th wrestle kingdom cards today and i i I will not be watching those shows live. I'll tell you that much. I will check in for the Shingo stuff and I guess maybe the Shibata stuff, but historically I've always been a little bit lower on Shibata than everybody else. So that that's cool, but that doesn't necessarily excite me. I, there's a, a distinction there. If I, I recognize big picture, this is a big deal, but it doesn't do a ton for me personally, but yeah, maybe that's part of it is just not having that annual reset of January 4th being a big deal, almost like a cultural event in this bubble that now the end of the year is just here and who cares? Yeah, and it, it's something that at least specifically for me as someone who I mean, now I've pared down my wrestling to the stuff that I really enjoy that I don't cover which for me, th th that's a very dangerous question of what I enjoy. <laughs> it's not always necessarily good stuff. It's just stuff that pops me. So I, I, I would always check in for January 4, and I just don't feel the compulsion anymore. Like, I feel more the compulsion to get ready for Tokyo Joshi Pro's January 4th show than I am about that. Like, that is, like, my version of the Zero One. Like, everyone check in on Zero One and forget about it for, like, half of the year. That... Tokyo Joshi Pros won four shows that for me. So I, I, I'm interested to see like what like out of like the entire week and the, the, the one show that I'm interested in seeing just because it's going to be fascinating how they work it out is going to be Noah versus New Japan. Like that's the show that kind of calls out to me in January. Yeah, I'm assuming we're going to get Nakajima versus Shingo in a singles match. I expect most of that show to be six and eight man tags. And I think anybody that thinks otherwise is going to be very much let down when those full cards are revealed, but they have specifically teased Shingo versus Nakajima. That's a singles match that has happened twice. Once in Dragon Gate in 2005, once in Diamond Ring in 2012. Both of those matches are very fun. I would like to see what a 2022 version of that match would look like. So I hope that's the direction they go, but yeah, I don't. I, I'm looking at these Wrestle Kingdom cards now, Mike. I have you seen a second of New Japan Pro Wrestling in 2021? I saw Shingo winning the title. That's it. Okay, and and I guess before I want to run through some of these matches with you just to get your uh, just a vibe check on Wrestle Kingdom this year. But real quick, we should acknowledge Tokyo Sports Awards. The MVP this year was Shingo Takagi. We obviously, and Mike can explain why, have uh, a personal grudge against the Tokyo Sports Awards, but yeah. Shingo winning the MVP, it should be addressed on this podcast, very, very cool. Congratulations to Shingo, that is that is an amazing thing to say. Yeah, I mean, with how they do it, Shingo was the runaway, and if it wasn't going to be Shingo, then, I mean, unless they're just going to give it to Kenji Muto, Kijimuto, and everyone can just go lull themselves away, like... Shingo had to win that one. Now, for the rest of it, I mean, 
very cute the comment they said about opening it up this year case when the number two promotion in japan has been shut out effectively for a second straight year but you look at all the other promotions on there and look at where the money comes from for there makes it i like makes that, at least I like that this is a topic basically a kayfabe award show the japanese equivalent of the slammies is something that really gets under your skin this is two years in a row where i can hear it in your voice that you're very much bothered by the fact that Drangate, outside of maybe winning the technique award every few yeah. years gets completely shut out of these well i mean if this was a fan vote thing then i wouldn't care because Ja- Japanese fan bases and with Dragon Gate, they just the streams don't cross there. Like, there's no reason to be angry there. But this is, in theory, supposed to be a media award of promotions that you cover in your newspaper, and just effectively shutting out the number two promotion because they don't make Tokyo a focus or they don't have the ad budget that you know Cyber Agent or Bushi Road does. You know, that's you know, just get all the cards out on the table. That's all I'm asking. Mike, if I asked you on this day, December 16th, 2021, who are the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Tag Team Champions? Who do you think that would be? Uh, Desperado and uh, someone with Desperado. Yeah, that's probably what I would have guessed as well. Of course, El Desperado just just main eventing everywhere now. Definitely not just a mid-level junior. Definitely a big star that everybody should pay attention to. It is not El Desperado, Mike. The IWGP Junior Heavyweight Tag Team Champions as of this time are Robbie Eagles and Tiger Mask which blew my mind looking at that. I couldn't believe that. They're defending the belts on January 5th. It's Robbie Eagles and Tiger Mask against Taguchi and Rocky Romero and Taiji Ishimori and El Phantasmo, which I just, I didn't, I didn't know any of that was happening. This is all news to me. (laughs) I I, I did not leave my mic off mute, muted during this case. My mouth was agape for a second. So, uh, well, a you, you know what? I was about to say a lot to unpack here, but you know what? I'm just going to go with it. Sure. Why not? Like, I feel like there's a version of thing, that. I guess. Yeah, yeah. Like there's a version of that Rob Eagles versus Ty- and Tiger Mask team that I probably really like, but it's not, it's not now. If that team's happening in 2018, I'm probably all about it, but I just, I can't get on board with that. Uh, let me, let me throw this at you also happening on the January 5th show. I know you were debating about whether or not you want to get up at the wee hours of the morning and watch this live. You have that junior heavyweight tag team title match. You also have the never open weight six man titles with is, which is evil. Yujiro and show defending the belts against Hiroki Goto, Yoshihashi and yo, do you want to get up at four in the morning and watch that match live, Mike? No, God. <laughs> look, look, th- this actually makes more sense than the junior than the junior tag. But I, like, look at this. Like, yeah, no, that makes sense. Not interested. That makes sense though, but not interested. Yeah, that's. Uh, I mean, look, there's also Naito versus Cobb, which whatever. Sonata versus Great Okan, which whatever. Kenta and Tanahashi, and then the winner of Okada Shingo versus will osprey i will at least watch those final two matches but oh boy that undercard i oh oh no that's not a show i'm gonna be watching live it's not something i'm necessarily looking forward to and it's not like Gate is doing much better in their Dreamgate scene right now we'll we'll discuss the debacle that was kai and yamato at cork and hall but at least it's not king of darkness evil and the torture house or whatever it is that they're called 
House of Torture. I do know of House of Torture because that reminds me a lot of House of Glory, and you know how happy that makes me. Your favorite promotion other than Dragon Gate. When Mike Spears says he only watches wrestling that he enjoys, it's AEW Dark, it's Dragon Gate, and it's House of Glory. Hey, it's also EC3 Produce. Oh, like, God. hey, we might be getting ROH versus EC3 Produce. And you know what? I'm ready for Kenny King to control his narrative. Is EC3 a QAnon guy, or does he just associate himself with everyone that is a QAnon guy and act like a QAnon guy? Do we do we have and look, I don't care. I've been very for it. I just want to watch wrestlers wrestle. I I don't have a huge stake in their personal political beliefs, but do, have we pinpointed where Ethan Carter the third, the former Derek Bateman, was on January sixth, twenty twenty one? You know, uh, we don't need to worry about that. <laughs> don't, well, hey, don't worry about it, man. Don't worry about it. <laughs> what I'm interested in is pseudo auteur wrestling done by people who thought that Fight Club was the most important movie of their life. But to answer your question, I... <laughs> I don't think he is, but there are people who are affiliated with this that are real Jordan Peterson pilled. My man linked up with Killer Cross this afternoon, and I was like, oh, no, that's a bad combination because Killer Cross is very much Q-pilled and, you know, more power to him, I guess. <laughs> I mean, what, what I hear there is, well, it looks like we have the main event for Control Your Narrative <laughs> 3 right there. The, the, you're built different but i'm built broken and having a broken brain lets me enjoy certain things i i agree look I, i'm certainly not going to sit down and watch that but i would love to have you explain it to me like i'm five what is happening on these ethan carter the third shows so i hope that happens i hope i hope they this is i hope the ethan carter produce promotion answers bully ray's question of can an actual heel exist in modern professional wrestling I hope they I hope they go there, Mike. I hope Ethan Carter the Third's promotion is the comedy seller of professional wrestling. I, I mean, I had two thoughts pop in my head when he dropped that on me. Number one, I was gonna say, does he know who the biggest heel right now is in EC3 produce? It's it's gentleman Jervis who gets his ass kicked every time because he <laughs> refuses to control the narrative. And also, does he know that Percy Watson basically is like a street preacher in these shows? Now that kicks ass. Percy Watson being a street preacher honestly has my attention. Also, Jervis getting beaten up has my attention because no one has more go away heat with me than Jervis fucking cotton belly. You see, there's just a lot of stuff there. Uh, it's not as garbage as one thinks. Like, like it is garbage. Don't get me wrong, but you know, pressure turns carbon into diamonds. There's some joy there. Can I ask you a dumb question, not related to Drangate real quick, but I was you, you asked me a question earlier that almost caught me off guard. But because you live in such a warm climate, you live down south. What it, it doesn't snow there. So how do you know when to get into the Christmas spirit? I mean, I've been dealing with frost all week. So okay. like just, just this uh, Christmas spirit, uh, you, you know, it's when you feel like the good Lord about you, buddy. You, you know, you like look at you look at Polaris and you know that that's what the that's how the three wise men got to Bethlehem to give presents to our sweet baby Jesus, our Lord and Savior case. Can you t I, it, it, was that dripping of sincerity? 
Uh, no, but it did make me think of the fact that when I was home for Thanksgiving, I tried to convince my mom to put baby Jesus in a cage as an act of uh, political protest this year to show that we're on the right side of history because uh, my mom and I are both very concerned about what's going on at the border. And I was like, can you please take a stand, put baby Jesus in a cage, and then post that on Facebook to see how your friends react to it? And I couldn't get her to do it. I was very disappointed by that. I mean, if you're going to have a nativity scene, it should at least be topical. Like, it should I, I, be political. Christmas <laughs> should be about dividing and conquering among your family members. Make it as uncomfortable as possible for everybody so they all know you're on the right side of history. Hey, hey my uh, extended family does enough of that as is, so it's time for me to throw it back at them. Uh, <laughs> just, just, just quick little nugget there. I have a, I got a minor in religious studies because I took a lot of classes that, that I was later told, Mike, if you take two more classes, we'll give you a minor. And I was already going five years, so I decided why not. Because of that minor, my extended family for a long time thought I was in divinity school and asked me to, to give grace every holiday. So <laughs> I'm all about throwing it right back at them at this point. When I just like, I, I, I'm not religious, man. Like, like, don't ask me to say grace. Like, I, I, I don't even know if I ever was baptized. Like, that's, that's the wrong person to ask to, to bless this bread here. I, of course, grew up in the Catholic Church. I feel like most people can probably tell that from my... A guilt-driven personality and my mom still will slide in the question every once in a while like are you sure you don't want to go to seminary school like you could become a priest and i'm thinking like mom i don't know if you heard those manscaped ads this summer but that's not a possibility anymore i'm on i'm on a different side of that cloth now yeah 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 but i mean like if if my parent asked me this is like do you all just think that like i'm just going to devote myself to the faith at this point like there <laughs> it are people would be an who awesome do twist. and honestly if voicegate just became super religious because you were trying spending half the shows trying to convert me to the good lord i that would be a, a nice twist that would be a, a turn that i wouldn't see coming well we're gonna forget about this and in 2023 i'm gonna ask you if you heard the good word and that's how <laughs> we're gonna go with that anyway 16 minutes <laughs> <laughs> oh geez should we talk about this week in dragon gate i think so all, all the successful wrestling podcasts spend as long as they can not talking about wrestling and maybe that's what we need to do to to gain a larger audience but for now we can pivot to the two dragon gate shows that we need to talk about yeah so there were two shows this week and now they are off live stream until final gate there is a match that will be happening in nagoya that will be at least that on the network we had two shows we had December 11th in Kyoto. It will be up on the network until the 18th. And then we also had the final Tokyo Cork and Hall show of 2021. That was yesterday as a time of recording. So that was the 15th. That will be up until the 22nd. And just like leading off case, this Kyoto show, like they were kind of like all heavy teasing anything happened in Kyoto. Maybe everything can't happen in Kyoto, but what we can have is a very good time. This was a great show. This is worth sitting down if you haven't seen it and going through some of these matches on the network. I didn't have anything hit the notebook, nothing quite at four stars, but I had two matches at three and three quarters. And all in all, this was a, first of all, an easy show to watch. This one went by super, super quick. And also, just like I said, a very good show. Nothing dragged for me throughout the entire two, two and a half hours of in-ring time on this show. Yeah, and the one big plot thing happened in the match that was five minutes long. 
Like the one challenge that came out of the show happened in, in the shortest match on the show. Everything was really watchable. I I had three things at three and a half stars. So I mean, for like a two hour show that has three matches at three and a half or better I, on like a monthly house show, that's worth going out of your way to go see. And I thought that really, other than the stuff that by now we're kind of used to like being dissatisfied with, I thought that this was an unqualified success. Yeah, in particular, the opening match, which was the Natural Vibes duo of KZ and UT against the Masquerade team of Jason Lee and La Estrella. I tweeted this out on the VoiceGate account. Of course, this was the opening match on the show, which means it is archived on the Drangate YouTube channel. You can go watch it there for free if you have not seen it already. I don't know if there's a certain label we can attach to a match like this in the same way that you have you know, your Drangate six-mans, or for years we talked about Grapple Fuck, the same way that New Japan has their house style, the same way that AEW and their Plunder Brawls have developed a certain cadence to them. I don't know what label you can put on this match, but I tweeted out that this match, whatever it was, is the style of wrestling that I most enjoy. Just a fast-paced junior heavyweight style of tag team wrestling that for whatever reason really connects with me, and I went three and three quarters on this. Just for for an opening match on a house show, this is two thumbs up. This is terrific stuff. Yeah, and you had... You, you got to see KZ get some time in with people he does not usually get a whole lot of concentrated time with, like La Estrella and like Masquerade versus Natural Vibe matches really haven't happened that much since both those units have came about just because where they sit on the landscape. So getting a chance to see like KZ getting into a slap fight with Jason Lee La Estrella was a blast. UT getting a chance to work more with Jason Lee and just they, they kept us at a good pitch. Uh, La Estrella is someone who, you know, up and down week for him. I think that's fair to say, but I thought he looked really strong here. And uh, this just rocked. Like this was a 12 minute opener that I went three and a half stars on. I, I, I really thoroughly enjoyed this. I will table my La Estrella thoughts for later on in this show, but I will mention here that at some point, and I, I don't necessarily know how it's going to line up, given that Casey at this point is firmly a guy in the main event scene and Jason Lee, perhaps because of his size, perhaps just because he's not over enough, is not necessarily someone that I would associate with the Dreamgate belt. But I would love some extended KZ versus Jason Lee stuff because, you know, they had a singles match at King of Gate this year. I went four and a half stars on it, one of the real sleeper picks in Dragon Gate this year. And we've, I've seen it over the past few weeks as these guys have gotten more in-ring time together. They complement each other so well. And I, I think they're, you know, roughly similar wrestlers. The same things that KZ does well are the same things that Jason Lee does really well. They're masters of technique. They're, they're quick. If a wrestler could be witty in terms of their in-ring approach, I would put that label on both of them. And it's one of those deals where they mirror each other and it's a really successful combination. And obviously, you know, UT crushes it. I talk all the time about how UT has become this in-ring general in this promotion and how he can have a good match with seemingly anyone. But seeing Jason Lee and KZ, two guys who I think are two of the best wrestlers in the world, quite frankly, you know, I, I just listed out who I thought were the 50 best wrestlers of 2021, and not a lot of people were ahead of Jason Lee. He, he did very, very well on my list. And seeing him with a guy like KZ, who has that main event track record at this point, you can easily put him in your top 20, top 25 conversation of the world, and not a lot of people are going to bat an eye at you. 
seeing those two guys go at it at, at such a high level, even in an opening match like this, is something that I would really like to see more of. I love their chemistry. I love this match. Go watch it if you have not seen it. Yeah, and it's something that, like, that's the nice thing about these shows. I would say, like, the non-Cork and non-Kobe uh, house shows are you, you eventually will get to a point where you can throw something out like this that you don't get to see that often, that you get to see these two guys who, yeah, I didn't really, like, connect the synapses as they were firing until you, uh, until you uh, strung that thread there, kids. But they are so similar in a lot of ways, and it just played off each other incredibly well. Estrella had his solid moments here, and then you have UT. So, I mean, like, what's there not to like about this? Yeah, I, I would say this is probably my favorite match on the show now that I'm really thinking about it. Yeah, and I, I don't I don't know what to call it other than just really good wrestling, but I, I am suffice to call it that. I, I'm perfectly content with that because, like I said, when I started talking about this match, it's just a style of wrestling that really clicks with me, and thus, two thumbs up. The next match we had was a unaffiliated tag. We had a whole lot of people from a whole lot of different groups teaming up. It was Ultimo Dragon teaming up with Ben K and Keisuke Akuda of High End versus Ginky Horiguchi and Natural Vibes teaming up with the unaffiliated Don Fuji and Takuma Fujiwara, who had to... Uh, he got his back cracked for free by Ben K with an Argentine backbreaker in 11 minutes and 42 seconds. And I think I, I, I think after this week, we kind of... Uh, put a uh i guess we can put a pen in what kind of wrestler uh takuma fujiwara is at least in my opinion he's going to be the guy that gets his ass kicked and is going to sell like gross and he's going to get the crowd behind him like i don't know if that really like projects into a whole lot because there's people like that up and down this card here but that facet really came out to play this week Mike, by chance, and it certainly won't hurt my feelings if you say no, but did you have a chance to read my written review of the Cork and Hall show yet? I waited until after I watched, and I read it. Yes, I have. Okay. So I made the comparison there, and I'll talk about it here now. Obviously, we'll talk about the the big rookies versus veterans eight-man tag match at Cork and Hall in just a minute, but... I want to talk about Fujiwara here because what he did so well in this match was also on display at Cork, and he had two great outings this week. Fujiwara, for those that have not read that review, and it's posted up at VoicesOfWrestling.com with star ratings and, and extended thoughts for my Cork and Hall review as well. But Fujiwara reminds me so much of a young Will Ospreay, and I don't really care what your thoughts on Will Ospreay are. We just talked about how I just want to watch people wrestle. Don't get clouded by the fact that I'm comparing him to Will Ospreay. I know that's a trigger point for some people. It's okay. It's going to be okay. I'm not comparing him to Will Ospreay, the person. I'm comparing him to what I think is Will Ospreay's best in-ring quality. I think Fujiwara has that as well. And that is the fact that Ospreay, throughout his career, is one of the most giving wrestlers I have ever seen. Will Ospreay is always in the mood to make a new star. And sometimes that comes from his long-term selling and long-term storytelling that he'll do with opponents. Sometimes that comes from the fact that Will Ospreay will take a stupid bump and land on his head if you need him to take a stupid bump and land on his head. And Fujiwara, while he's not as flashy and I, I don't want to say exciting, but exciting as Osprey was in 2015, 2016, 2017, when he was still super young, you know, he doesn't have that insane aerial ability that Osprey has, but he has that other quality to me. This idea that if you're going to be in the ring with Fujiwara, 
I think his opponent is going to leave matches looking better than they entered them in. And I think that's going to be very, very beneficial to Fujiwara as he moves his way up the card, as he gains weight. He is such a mystery for me, whereas I kind of know what Sato is going to be. I feel like I kind of know what Fuda is going to be. I feel like I know what Hayakawa is going to be. But Fujiwara now is the big question mark of this group because he's so giving. And he is so exciting in the way that he throws himself from corner to corner, the way that he takes back body drops and throws himself up into the lights. The fact that he gets put in a torture rack by Ben K and he looks like the letter U. He's so bent to shreds at the end of it. That is so exciting. And that seems like it's only a fraction of his game. So Takuma Fujiwara, his stock has been raised with me. I think he came away from this show and the Corken Hall looking brilliant. And I can't wait to see what unfolds here because he was the thread that held this match together from the moment before the opening bell where Don Fuji chops him, despite the fact that Fuji and Fujiwara are on the same team. Don Fuji starts this match by chopping Fujiwara. And then for the next 11 minutes, outside of some Ultimo and Genki interaction, it's mostly Fujiwara getting beat to shreds by the hands of Benkei and Kaisuke Okuda. And quite frankly, there aren't many people in the company more qualified to take a beating from Benkei and Kaisuke Okuda right now than Takuma Fujiwara. Yeah, it, it, it's something where I think like, and he's been the open question for like the last month since we've been talking about his debut. It It's not a bad thing that he's such an open question because you, like, you see like these tendencies, you look at where he is and he's still, oh, he's still a baby. So, like, who knows, like, when he gets older, how things are going to progress with him. But, like, his ability to, like, connect in these small things that you could already, like, check off the list for him, that portends very well for him. And he's doing stuff that really the rest of the class does either has not been in a position to do because or because of, like, their skill set or their size. They're just, it's just not really there right now. So the fact that he's put that on display and as the person is taking a step forward in that regard really, really only like benefits him down the road because the fact that he's able to do this less than a month in, imagine how it's going to be like a year from now, two years from now, three years from now. It's just one of those tools that you want to have in your toolkit. Some people don't ever develop that, but Takuma Fujiwara already has it a month in. Yeah, because, you know, Hayakawa can also take a beating, but Hayakawa's entire career is going to be built off of taking a beating. Fujiwara has a little bit of size to him, and like I will continue to emphasize, has no body to him yet because he's 19 years old. He's only going to get bigger as time goes along, but for him to be able to play the victim in such a way at this stage in his career, knowing that he's going to get bigger and better, he is someone that is going to be, you know, the baseball equivalent of a five-tool player, I think. I think Fujiwara, if everything goes well, barring any injuries, barring any major setbacks, this is a guy that is going to be able to be put in any position on this roster at any spot on the card from opener to main event and is going to be a success. I am incredibly bullish on him. I love what I'm seeing from him, and that's partially because I don't know what he's going to be, and that is really, really exciting. Yeah, and I think it's something that is going to be really fun to kind of watch him as he develops. Like that's so this is the kind of stuff that I'm 
a real sicko about. And it was interesting to see that the rest of the kids in the next match, because I felt like that there was a lot there that showed different aspects of this class of 2021. Yes, you have the floor. Go ahead. Talk about the six man. All right, so the sixth man was uh, Natural Vibes, Asumi Akoska, Big Boss Shimizu, and Jackie Funky Kamei versus Shoya Sato, Ryu Fuda, and Takumi Hayakawa. It was Shimizu with the aided Big Boss press on Hayakawa to get the win. And the thing that I thought was really interesting, and I'll segue into this, is there were a lot of chances for like three-on-ones in this match that because of who all were involved were pretty fascinating. The fact that you would have the rookies like three on one trying to go after big R Shimizu or Susumi Yokosuka. And I thought that that was like really kind of interesting. The idea of these, the, these six as like a united front at this point, especially as the unit landscapes getting even more murky, murky. The fact that, you know, we, we saw like them all team up against Shimizu this soon. in, I thought was kind of interesting. Yeah, I completely co-signed that United Front take with you, and I hope before things fully get splintered off, because it seems like with what's happening with Doi and just the general masquerade and R.E.D. uneasiness, that these rookies are going to find units sooner rather than later. But I would I would love, and this is pure fantasy booking on here, but I, I, I would like to see at some point either a three-on-three with these six new rookies or a 12-man tag of you know the six rookies against Mochi, Fuji, Kanda, and whoever else, because I love the way they're being presented right now. And Jay did a great job on the Cork and Hall show. Uh, there was a lot to like on the English commentary feed for that Cork and Hall show. Jay did a killer job, though, especially in the rookies versus veterans tag, talking about the bond that these guys have. Had there were six of them that were able to come through the dojo together, not since the early days of Torimon, as in the first and second and third classes, have we seen that many guys succeed all at once of being able to get into the dojo and then being able to have a successful debut. And they also did this through a pandemic, which bonds them even more. And that was just another layer to like about these guys. There's already between the Ahashi brothers and Fujiwara, and then the three in this match of Fuda, Sato, and Hayakawa, there's already so much to like, and for me, there's so much to latch onto with each, with each of these guys as a fan. And then Jay threw in that layer and just hit me in a way. I was just like, oh my God, I I want all of these guys to be Dreamgate champion already. Like, I'm just so in love with this rookie class. I think they're so talented. And I, I love that, like you said, the, the times in this match where they were able to be three-on-one with the rookies against one natural vibes member, all of that stuff popped me. I love the way this match was laid out. Yeah, and it's something that when you have like these six guys, it they're so divergent from each other. This isn't like something where like you you, you know even in like those early classes of Torimon, like they they were very much based in a similar style. Here, I mean, you you can't really compare what kind of wrestler they're portraying Shoya Sato as in comparison to Kumi Hayakawa. I mean, it's just like two completely divergent uh, aspects of wrestling in, at play. And it's just really fascinating to see how they are developing them all together with this. And it, it's something that like the person in this match though, that kind of like stuck out to me more. So, and I think that I'm someone that is a little bit lower on him than the remainder of what seems to be like the consensus is I thought that Ryu Fuda showed a lot more than just being a kickboxer guy in this match. And I thought that, that was really kind of cool. Oh, I am so in 
on Fuda. He does so many little things that just excite me. The way he carries himself is personally very appealing to me. I'm not going to say it has that star quality to it, but Fuda's a guy that is going to be one of my guys going forward. I love the way he carries himself. I love that he's a little more agile than your typical kickboxer, at least in terms of their in-ring presentation. It's not like we see Kaisuke Akuda going to the top rope all that often, but Fuda does, and Fuda has a really, really mean missile dropkick that he was able to display in this match. And there's little things like that that I can latch onto that I really like. Now, Ryo Fuda is still my top guy in this class. I love him, and uh, there was a lot to like with him, not only in this match, but at Cork and Hall as well. Yeah, so it, it it was a strong week. I think we could both conclude from the future kids. I feel like that class 2021 had a big, big step forward as well. Uh, did you have any more thoughts on this before we move on to like the uh, story portion of the show, I guess, for lack of better <laughs> words? Uh, no, just for reference, three and three quarters on the opener, three and a half on match number two, and three and three quarters on Natural Vibes versus the Rookie Trio. I was three and a half on the opener, three flat on match two, and then three and a quarter on match three. Match four, uh, New Generation Doi Yoshi, Naruki Doi, and Takashi Yoshida versus the RED team of SB, Kento, and Hyo. Hyo got the uh, flash pin on an inside cradle after a box lid shot on Takashi Yoshida in five minutes and seven seconds, and that immediately led into at the time a remarkable challenge that they were that we had the then open the Triangle Gate champion, Hyo, and they open the Brave Gate champion, SB Kento, challenging for the Twin Gates at Final Gate. Uh, General Manager Ryo Saito says, that sounds fascinating, having double champions. Let's do this. So that is a match we have at Final Gate. It will be Naruki Doi and Takashi Yoshida versus SB Kento and Hyo as a rematch coming off of this Kyoto show. Something I'm learning about Ryo Saito as GM is that he is too easily persuaded. He is getting talked into title matches left and right, and that seems very dangerous. That being said, Mike, by the time we record next week, we'll have already gone through our Nagoya show, the homecoming show for both UT and SB Kento, and the Brave Gate match that is headlining that show. So we need to talk about this now. Who is winning the Brave Gate belt this weekend? And come final gate, is SB Kento entering as Brave Gate champion and will or will he not leave as double champion? I just like look at this show and yeah, Ryo Saito is really amused by bright and shiny objects. Like I, I, I feel like if you suggest something, he's really susceptible to, this, to the power of persuasion. So uh, it feels like that this, I always say this, like SB Kento, it feels like a time that like he can get beyond the the brave gate and really like fully move up the card as we expect him to. So this would be the logical off ramp that UT wins. And then they SB Kento and Hio end up as twin gate champions. Like I can't discount that just because of like how like frankly scattershot the title situations have been since Rio Saito has been general manager, like just title shots going everywhere. There's not a whole lot of like traditional, Dragon Gate order where all of the big shows will have four title matches on it. That's just not the case anymore. So I can't like say definitively, yeah, I think UT is going to be Brave Gate champion. And then I think that Hio and SB Kent will be Twin Gate champions. But I'm kind of leaning that way right now. I think this is set up specifically 
to have SBK enter 2022 as SBK two belts. I think he's going to beat UT in their hometown. And then I think he's winning the twin gate belts at final gate. And I, I hope that's the case. I mean, obviously I'm, I'm very high on the guy, but I don't remember. And maybe I'm forgetting something obvious. I don't remember the last time we had a double champion in terms of someone holding two belts in dragon gate at the same time. And SB Kento doing that would be very exciting to me. Yeah, like the most we would see is like Brave versus Dream matches where the Brave Gate champion would win and then they would vacate the Brave immediately and then be Dream Gate champion. You don't really see a singles champion that's also a, a tag team or trios champion. Like, it just doesn't happen. Like, I, I'm racking my brain to think of one and I'm drawing a giant blank. Yeah, if you can think of one at Open Voice Gate on Twitter because we might be forgetting something obvious, but I also cannot think of one. So why not have SB Kento do it? He certainly fits the bill. He's qualified enough to do that. Yeah, and it's something that's like an another like new feather to put in his cap and you know, and the eventual build to Kento Kabune running the company. So, yeah, g- give him g- g- give him this feather. Let him put it in his hat. I mean, that hat's going to be really festive by the end of it, but uh, it, it it's it's fascinating. It it's something that's I guess really like if you want to look like a business strategy wise like maybe they they don't feel that the belts are the draws it's the people now so that that's why they don't feel like the need to have four title matches at every big show but i i I find that kind of fascinating this kind of shift that we are in the midst of not one that i was expecting like changing how they treat titles but it's fascinating we've seen sb kento really kind of make the brave gate into something that they're willing to headline these shows with so uh it's an interesting time uh do, do you feel like that we're kind of seeing that but with the difference between belts as a draw and then the wrestlers as a draw I haven't necessarily gotten that vibe. It's not that I disagree with that take. It's really something that I haven't thought about. I also just think SB Kento is in a different situation. I just think they're treating him differently. I think they're treating the Bravegate belt differently as long as he has it. If the belt goes to UT or pick your guy on the roster that isn't, you know, a dragon kid or a Susumi Yokosuka type, not one of the the veterans that have held this title before, but one of the young guys, even Jackie Funky Kamei, I don't think they're headlining any of these shows. I think as long as SB Kenta was on the show and some sort of big match, that fills their quota, title or not. And so they don't need a Brave Gate match and a Twin Gate match at Final Gate. They would just need the Twin Gate match, and I think that would that would fulfill the need that is required. Yeah, no, it, it could very much be situational and just the fact that this is a special person that you can do this with and not an overall philosophy change. Just something that kind of popped in my mind and I don't have a filter between the mind and the microphone right now. So we're going to go with that. Uh, match five. I, I will uh, say Ma- this r- real quick, oh, real quick. I will say this. I like the SB Kento Hyo team a lot, and I like them so much that I was fantasizing about them in different eras and different promotions earlier this week. Like, they they should have wrestled Kenta and Marafuji. That is a match that should have happened because I think it would have been a lot like when Sua showed up in Noah and was just doing really strong character work and it kind of blew everybody's minds. I think SB Kenta and Hyo in another promotion would blow people away with just how charismatic they are. Yeah, they could very easily be a, rele- a relevation to people. So They could show I- up in Noah right now. It doesn't have to be another era. They could show up in Noah right now, even with the great work that Aita is doing, and I've really liked him and Noah. I I really think they would just knock people's socks off if they came out of the curtain and had an extended run in Noah, 
you know, dream match alert, Mike. Don't get too excited because it's not going to happen. But Robbie Eagles and Tiger Mask versus SB Kento and Hyo, <laughs> that is a match I would like to see. That match would be really good. There's a lot these guys could do. And it's it's just another one of those interesting things that I find with SB Kento where it's not that he's doing work that is above Dragon Gate. But I do think the way people look at this promotion, it's sometimes just from the the outside looking in perhaps some people's best qualities are hidden and sb kento is very much in that situation where unfortunately i think he would have to leave for people to go oh my god this guy's a prodigy he's unbelievable whereas it's happening right now and people should just pay attention to it now no i totally co-sign i'd rather celebrate someone early than you know after the fact Shingo's doing pretty well for himself and Shingo's doing the same thing he did for 15 years it's that that is the textbook example Akira Tozawa could be doing this but he's a ninja like you know it's just what it is I hope he's happy yeah I hope he's happy uh semi main event uh masquerade Shun Skywalker Kota Minora versus R.E.D. Eita and Diamante Diamante got a win on a roll-up after an errant strike on Shun on Dakota yeah we're getting that they did a great job again of building up the uh, masquerade tension that paid off and or it's just starting to pay off on in Tokyo here. I thought that this, I I like the combinations here. I really like Kota Minora with Diamante, and I really enjoyed whenever Shun Skywalker gets someone to fly off of. It's a good time. This masquerade stuff is so good. I, I am really impressed with the character work that is coming through here. And I guess we can talk about that because that was more on display at the Cork and Hall show. But to me, it adds another layer to demonstrating just how good of a pro wrestler Shun Skywalker is because now he's doing these really story intensive matches, which is not what he came up doing for a year and a half of his career in 2017 and 2018. It would be Skywalker working a meaningless eight man tag where everybody would clear out and he would get to do his big moonsault to the floor. And that is the structure of the match that he worked for well, almost years, plural. And now, you know, then he they went, did those big main event style matches, crushed it in there. And now he's doing these story matches. And while Diamante and Asa versus Menorah and Skywalker wasn't any sort of classic, I was just awestricken by how well-timed this finish was where at the very end of it, Skywalker goes to hit a big boot, he hits Menorah instead, and Diamante rolls up Skywalker and gets the win. It was perfectly timed. It was flawless. And it is just another feather in Shun Skywalker's hat. If it wasn't for Kenny Omega and Brian Danielson this year, he would be the best wrestler alive in 2021. Yeah, and it's something that, like, with the storyline... They found ways of basically kind of developing it on house shows without giving away the big thing for Tokyo. And we'll get more into what happened at Tokyo in just a moment. But just like it's not getting old. They're really developing this in a really which way. It plays off the strengths of like neither Minora or Shun Skywalker have made that huge step forward as a microphone worker. So they're able to show the story through matches and like brief interactions and maybe a little bit of microphone work. And that's what makes this so compelling because it's it's a very simple story that's just being told very well by these guys. I'm impressed with everybody involved, from Shun to Estrella to Jason Lee to Minora to obviously Dragon Daya. Really, really good stuff. Uh, this I am so into this masquerade story right now. 
Yeah, for sure. Uh, main event of Kyoto, this was High End versus R.E.D. Yamato, Dragon Kid, and Kakatora from High End. And then on R.E.D., BB Hulk, Kai, and Kaido Ishida. It was Kai hitting the Medio Impact on Kakatora in uh, 11 minutes and 49 seconds. And a match that I enjoyed the match itself, but then the post-match and everything at this, I just like was like, oh, we're getting into the Dreamgate stuff with Yamato and Kai. I had my fun. I'm just going to zone out for a little bit now. That is a very good way of putting it. This match was a paint-by-numbers, almost like an advent calendar level of simplicity good wrestling match that I have no thoughts on, that I have no takes on. There was no substance to it. It was a very bare-bones, three-and-a-quarter-star match that was perfectly acceptable between a bunch of guys that I don't care about right now. No, I think that's a very fair point to make about this. It just was the wrestling was good, and then we got into stuff that just, like... You've listened to us over the last year talk about that stuff. There's no re- real reason to uh, rehash that there. But that's going to be Given what was to come with Yamato and Kai, I should have been more grateful for this match. And that's my bad. <laughs> and heading into that's 2022, fair. I'm going to work on being grateful. It's not a skill set that I necessarily have. It's an emotion uh, that I struggle with. I don't take enough time out of my day every day to be grateful for what I have. And when Yamato and Kai had a three and a quarter star match, I should have been grateful for that. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes. So doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M. Dot com and check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. You know how you can learn grace? What's that, Mike? Through our Lord and Savior. <laughs> well done. There we go. But that's it for Kyoto. You could look you could watch it on the network until the 18th. It's a good time. It's like two hours. Like they like these house shows, like when these house shows hits, maybe you're not getting four star matches, but you're getting a really enjoyable wrestling show. And Kyoto finished the year strong there. And they, that was not it for this week. The reason why we delayed this week's show is so that we could talk about Cork and Hall there. Farewell to Tokyo for 2021 attendance. And we haven't really talked too much about attendance lately just because hasn't necessarily been the most interesting stuff to talk about. Not really. A whole lot necessarily going on there but attendance for this cork and hall show full house no vacancy complete sellout so they're back on that sh- stretch there which was something that i figure was going to happen case but i was just waiting to see like how long it would take for them to kind of regain the house after yoshino's retirement and it took them about four months bigger dip than the strong hearts exit yeah so Sorry, I was looking at attendance real quick, but I can't find 
what I need to find. So never mind on that front. But yeah, th- this was a. Uh, you know, they still have their restrictions in place. I don't, do you know if Drangate is opening things up or when they are to full capacity, but still no cheering? <laughs> Man, it's venue by venue. Some venues and some promotions are opting to open up more. So I've not seen anything specifically from Dragon Gate, but that's something that I know, like Big Japan, uh, Basara, you know, the big power players are going back to full capacity and are trying to do the step up there but from my understanding and i had a better handle on it before omnicron but to my understanding it's venue to venue deciding that interesting all right well yeah so they did what 714 here they did 714 at the december 1st show as well so two super no vacancy full houses for drangate and cork and hall this month for a company that doesn't really focus in tokyo not bad yeah, and it was something that there was like a significant like they were down in the 500s after Yoshino retired. So finishing the year strong also could be the fact that they know that that's it for Dragon Gate for the year. So people want to show up for that. But all in all, this Cork and Hall show, I know your review is up on Voices of Wrestling. I, I've readjusted my expectations on what Cork and Hall shows used to be case, but I came away with this, you know, there was a lot of either fun to very good and then some perplexing on the show all the, all in all not a bad cork and hall show at all no i really like this uh, up until the main event which would certainly be one of the worst matches that has happened in drangate this year and really i i i, I we haven't talked about it we'll get to it i i thought one of the worst matches that's happened in drangate in quite some time i was bothered by how bad that match was but up until that point this was a really fun show with a bunch of different news and noteworthy things to happen. So I, I'm all about it. And they let off the show with the first big noteworthy thing. It was Masquerade came out first. Uh, Shun Skywalker still not being able to read the room. But now he's wearing bright pink gear to tribute Dragon Daya. Uh, Minonora and Lee really want nothing to do with it at this point. Uh, he wanted to have an update. He formally apologized to everyone for what he did. Uh, Kota Minora then pulled out his cell phone. He said, like, oh, I haven't heard from Dragon Daya. Kota Minora pulled out his cell phone. It's like, I have. And he tells us to leave him alone. So then Shun Skywalker decided, well, I know it could, could fix anything. Hey, we're about to face the Triangle Gate champion team in a non-title match. Let's make it for the Triangle Gate. And Hio, being the big brain, was like, Y'all are going through some stuff here. This should be a very easy defense for us. We'll take the defense, even though Eita and Kaido Ishida were not sold on this. So this became a free, this is up on YouTube, a free Triangle Gate match between Masquerade, Shun Skywalker, Kota Minor, and Jason Lee versus the champion team R.E.D., Eita, Kaido Ishida, and Hio. I believe the exact verbiage of that dragon diet text that Coach Minora showed the rest of Masquerade was don't come looking for me, which is delightfully dramatic. I like, you know, dragon yeah. diet is about the, about the same age as me. I've certainly sent text very similar to that in my, my recent months, my recent years. Uh, once again, Drangate hitting me with the real life connection of being overly dramatic at a time in which it doesn't call for it. Yeah, I I mean, who hasn't had like a spat or a fight that they really they want to make it seem like that that you have to say that you're over it, but you don't. You're not really over it, so you hit them with the "Don't look for me." 
line on it. You know what I mean? I, I thought I have I thought a that was real issue. It very much was uh, very fitting. I have a real issue in my life where I sometimes don't know how to express myself unless it's through anger. Like if I do something wrong, if I screw something up, I have to get angry about it because in my mind that shows that I care but then I'm just an asshole who's angry and there's no, that's worse than just like, that's probably worse in people's minds that just been like, Oh, whatever. I screwed something up. I'll fix it. I have to be like, no, I'm a, I'm a fucking idiot. And I fucked this thing up and it's my fucking fault. And I'm going to handle it now. And it's incredibly inconvenient to be around when I'm in that mood and I'm working on it, but I don't know how to show people that I care unless it's through a form of anger, which I realize is very counterproductive. So Dragon Daya, I understand where you're coming from. Hey, I mean, it's one of those things that, you know, we're trying to redefine masculinity and maybe, you know, <laughs> we'll, we'll get you and Daya. We'll talk about expressing ourselves and talking about our true feelings. You know, am so I we... toxic masculinity is, is, am I the face of what that is? I mean, th there's other names that come to ha come to mind when we're talking about this case. <laughs> there's other names. At, but... at least I'm not number one. No, 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 no. You're not on the list, case. You're good. You're good, buddy. But just don't get angry. There's no reason to be angry. I, that's the thing. I it's it's interesting doing this podcast with you because I, I've gotten to know you know you on what I feel like is is a decently close level and you're not you're not an angry guy you tell me stories about your life and I get angry for you because I don't want you to have to deal with some of the stuff you deal with and I get angry because I care because I care about you Mike and you're like that's ah, whatever I'll figure it out it's like no it's not okay this is fucked up <laughs> I mean, there's only so much anger I can derive out of a dog getting sick at, for reasons that yeah. no one knows. Like, at a certain while, while, like, I don't know why this movie really had an effect on me, but there was this Will Ferrell movie from a long time ago. I, I'm forgetting the title, okay. but... You're, sp you're speaking my language. Go ahead. It, it was a dramatic one, and it was... Uh, he realized that he was a character in someone else's play, and he was trying to figure this out, and... That he talked to a psychiatrist about this, and it's like, you when these things happen, you need to put start like a list. And this, this psychiatrist, psychiatrist is very existential, and he said like you need to start a list. Is is life a comedy or a tragedy? And I don't know why that had a profound impact on me, but it's something that I find myself thinking about a lot sometimes when, especially when like really really dumb stuff happens. And it was Stranger Than Fiction's the movie, Stranger Than Fiction, two thousand six. So. I don't know. That's something that pops in my head occasionally. Can we talk about this Kevin James New Orleans Saints movie real quick? Because I know that's something that's in both of our wheelhouses. Oh, God. That CG uh, projectile <laughs> vomiting. God. Like, as soon as I saw this, I'm like, well, now I have a reason to watch this movie that I don't want to because that looks awful. But I know that this is right in your wheelhouse. The world's uh, foremost uh, Kevin James fan. <laughs> oh, look. Some big laughs at the trailer. I mean... I'm sure those are the highlights. I, you know, it's one of those movies where I, I, it's going to be the question of do the laughs outweigh the actual story of this movie? I want this to be like a CCW scramble match. I just want the high spots. And if they can pack laughs, laugh after laugh after laugh into 90 minutes, I would be perfectly content with this as a film. Unfortunately, they're going to try to tell a story about believing in yourself or something and i don't want to hear that i just want kevin james to be funny and have kids throw up on each other so yes i will be watching the kevin james new orleans saints movie 
Yeah, yeah. It's just wild that it's like, oh, Sean Payton, we're not going to talk about Bounty Gate, but he's going to go <laughs> coach. <laughs> just insane. Just Suspe Suspended insane. from the NFL because he was trying to intentionally hurt star players, and he gets a Kevin James comedy out of it. That is living. Good, good for him. He won. Yeah, it, it, it's befuddling. I'll say that much. <laughs> I'm still wrapping my head around why this is happening and why this is something. But it's Netflix. They, they just they have the most insane burn rate in the world. So of course they're going to be making a Kevin James, uh, Sean Payton movie where they need a CG uh, of just projectile vomiting because people ate Rob Schneider's bad power bar. Like, of course, of course, case. Did you see the wrong Missy? No, of course not. I've never heard of it. Oh, what my is God. It? Oh, the wrong. Oh, my God. Mike, it's Adam Sandler. Or no, it's not Adam Sandler. It's David Spade and Lauren Lapkus in this Adam Sandler produced comedy. It's four and three quarter stars. I've, wa I've watched this movie like five times. Roman Reigns is in the opening scene. It's tremendous stuff. It's on Netflix. You got to watch it. Okay, now that I'm like looking at this now here, okay, I do remember this. This is like the mistaken identity, like wrong. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. I see now. It's tremendous. Yeah. It's everything I want from a movie. I like I said, I've watched it a lot. I think it's really funny. Hey, buddy. We we all have like <laughs> this. I I saw the movie. I've seen the movie Basketball way too many times to count. I am no great uh diviner of what's tacky and what's not. So. I respect that. I respect that a lot. Uh, should we talk about, like, like, get back to the Corkin, I guess? Oh, <laughs> if you want to, Mike. Yeah, no, this yeah. this opening match was actually awesome. This was another shocker, another really good masquerade versus RED six-man tag match. I went three and three quarters on this opener and was, once again, incredibly impressed by the storytelling that Masquerade was able to weave into this match. I love that Jason Lee and Coach Minora are now leaving Shun Skywalker hanging when they normally do their group drop kick. If you've seen one masquerade match, you know what this is, where they all jet off into a different section of the ropes, come back, hit the guy with the drop kick. Minora and Lee are leaving Shun hanging on that now. Uh, and, and another really intricate finishing stretch here where there's accidental friendly fire between Minora and Shun earlier in the match. It comes back this time around towards the finish. Shun accidentally hits Minora. Kaito Ishida who I feel like has been pretty quiet lately. I feel like we haven't talked a lot about Ishida, but he is a he was a Triangle Gate champion, and he took that opportunity to put Shun in an ankle lock. Shun was able to get out. They both go for flash pins, and then it ends with Shun hitting the SSW on Kaito Ishida and getting the win. Really hot opener. Yeah, the, this played off of everything really well. I like the, the aspect of, like, Almost all this match with Kota Minora just taking a lot of offense here, which I thought was notable. The fact that it was Kota Minora is the one that's kind of getting put through all this when you would think it would be like Jason in this context. And the fishing stretch was awesome. Like they nailed all the points there. And now we have the world's most unhappy Triangle Gate team, which is going to be real fascinating as in the post-match, Ashun Skywalker was celebrating oblivious to the world, going like, we did it, Masquerade is fine, Masquerade is fine. But then Kota Minora was like, I hate this. We're going to have a match. And she was like, that's fine. Yeah, let's do this. Maybe that's a good way for us to get all on the same page. And then Minora said, well, we're going to have the match, and if you lose, you're out of the group. I I'm done with this. And Jamrio Saito hopping into the ring, very excited about a new match idea, booked it on the spot for Final Gate. <laughs> 
Yeah, so this is going to be very interesting. We have never seen a Shun versus Minora singles match before. They have two, one a dark match on Prime Zone in 2018, and then a singles match at a house show in 2019. Uh, both of those matches, Shun won. So this is going to be a fresh match. I, uh, like I said earlier, I love Shun's performance as a character in these situations right now. He hugs La Estrella. He gets Jason Lee begrudgingly to shake his hand. And then he goes for the handshake with Minora and Minora blows him off. That leads to the singles match that Mike just talked about. And now we're in a position next week. We'll preview final gate. And I, hopefully uh, both of us will have a better feel on that card because I, I will say right now, I have no idea what the result of that match is going to be. Yeah, and there was enough stuff that happened later on in the show with other with other plates that are starting to spin that, you know, I don't have a read on it yet. I'm gonna sit on it and then by Tuesday, you know, we'll we'll have deeper thoughts there. But I thought this was all excellent stuff. Like they've really like masquerade like jointly have been the MVPs of the promotion this year. And you know, putting the putting this unit on full display with like the big storyline at the tail end of the year, they just knock it out of park yet again this story has been so good and it makes me so sad because masquerade has become one of my favorite units of all time and it's not like you know with mad blanky and in the early stages of berserk there was such a rich and heavy story with them and you were able to kind of latch on there maximum even just because of yoshino's comeback it felt like there was a bigger story that people really attached themselves to there when we did our we talked about the best units of all time a few months ago, and I was so surprised at just how highly people thought of Maximum. It really was the the big surprising result of that was the people that we heard from talking about how Maximum was a, a top three, top five unit for them, and I love them in the moment. They were certainly the high point on some of those dire 2018 and 2019 shows, but I didn't necessarily think of them that highly. I feel like my version of that might be Masquerade because I don't remember the last time from an in-ring perspective that Drangate had a unit this deep. I think you would have to go back to the all-star cast of Monster Express when you had Tozawa and Ricochet and Uha and Shingo and Yoshino, and then to some degree Big R, Shimizu, and T-Hawk, even though by then the room was kind of, the, the bloom was kind of off the rose there. This is a unit with no holes in it. It's been all year since they formed December 15th, 2020. Great match. After great match, they had a world champion. They've held the twin gate belts. They've done everything you would want from a unit. And although they've wrestled, Ma or I'm sorry, although they've wrestled Red throughout the year, it's not like that was one giant blood feud. With the exception of the final few months of of Daya Inferno versus Dragon Daya, but even that kind of felt off in its own universe. This was just a unit that had good match after good match after good match, and this stuff has been so good. And I'm I'm almost heartbroken about it because we know that come final gate we're gonna at some way or another see the end of masquerade uh whether it's with shun leaving or even if shun wins and menorah stays it feels like that is going to become an issue as we go forward so it's a bummer that masquerade as we know it is coming to a close yeah and at the same time we see red like that they've brought back up and jay did a great job pointing this out uh how unhappy ada and ishida are with Hyo. Hyo's big brain getting them in trouble once again. Pointed out later on in the show that it was just Hyo at ringside. It was not 
Ata and Ishida. So, you know, th- a lot of things are happening right now and it kind of like a fascinating, it's not like a car crash, one, two, three, everything's happening at once, but the way that they're willing to go back and to build these things, I think, has been really strong as well. Uh, match two, Kenichiro Rai and Sachioko Boy versus uh, Yosuke San Maria and Problem Dragon Mondai Ryu. Uh, Sachioko Boy got the Orion pin on Maria, and my one note that I have in this case is, it is what you would expect. Well said, Mike. All right. So match three, just moving. Just need to move on right there. But like, there's nothing to say about that match. Uh, Ultimo, Dragon Kid, uh, Konamao Ichikawa, and Strong Machine J versus Natural Vibes, KZ, Susumi Akoska, Ginky Horiguchi, and Jackie Funky Kame. And Susumu reversed a figure four onto Konamawa Ichikawa to get the submission. But that was not the star highlight of this match case because we had a special guest commentator, and it was Sachioko Boy. This is this was incredible. I don't know what happened. I don't know who made the call to have Sachihoko Boy, who, for those that haven't heard this and for those that don't know, has notoriously shredded vocal cords in the same way that a Tomoaki Hanmo or a Janichiro Tenru does, to have him on English commentary, but... Oh my god, I loved this so much. And it wasn't like a hey, this guy doesn't really know English thing. It just was very charming because him and Jay like got into a rapport where like Jay was like speaking to him in Japanese. <laughs> Sachioko boy would speak to him back, Jay would translate, and like just like the things that Sachi would pop for was great. Like I I I legitimately think that Jay got like sprung. It's like we think you might be alone, so we're sending some people out there for you. Did not really know it. And later on in the show, he's like, I thought I was gonna get another guest commentator, but I guess not. But Sachi here. And the was- beautiful moment of that was uh, my understanding is Genki Horiguchi probably speaks better English on the roster than anybody. And Jay looks out of the corner of his eye and sees Horiguchi coming up the balcony. He goes, oh, maybe Horiguchi's going to join me on commentary after I just did English commentary with two people that don't speak English. And no, Horiguchi just goes to the Japanese desk. It's oh, oh what a chef's kiss. What a Christmas present to us. Saji Hoko boy losing his mind at some of those Konomama Ichikawa spots, losing his mind at the Jumbo Nokachi. This, I, I described this in my in my written review up at voiceofwrestling.com. Like, I never stole my parents' car as a kid. I never went on a joyride. This match is the closest I've come to participating in said joyride. I didn't know where we were going. I didn't know what was happening. But everybody was yelling, and I was having a really, really good time. And the match was just like a fun time jamboree. You know, like everyone was just kind of goofing off and, you know, it just was a, it just was a really funny thing with like Sakura Chikawa looking like he was going to get the submission and instead it was immediately flipped over into reverse figure four and he tapped out. He was trying to emulate Ultimo. Ultimo did the move, Stalker did, and it was just, just was fa- fantastic. It was exactly what I wanted. It was awesome. This was a really, really fun match. You know, the the commentary certainly helped, but the match by itself was tremendous comedic wrestling. So I, this... Oh, boy, this was fun. This was really, really fun. Yeah, and then we got into match four. The, like, this was an eight-match card that went just under three hours. Like, they did not... There was really, like, not a lot of dead time on this. Like, I was thinking, like, are we getting a, a intermission on this? No, no intermission. We're just going straight through. Australia's one-year anniversary match versus Punch Monaga. He beats Punch Monaga in 50 seconds with what's called the Jupiter 450, which... To be quite honest, he murdered uh, Punch Monaga in two moves in this match. Yes, 
this is a very interesting way to have Estrella's one-year anniversary. His debut, obviously, last year, the second Cork and Hall show. He wrestled Susumi Yokosuka, one of the most reliable wrestlers of all time, one of the best bases there's ever been. You and I could have a good match with Susumu. I fully, fully believe that. We've seen Estrella over the past year, and I want to talk about this kind of rating Estrella one year in what you think of him, because this I, I feel like this match just said a lot about Estrella, whether they intended it or not, where, okay, he's going to have the singles match with Punch. Well, Estrella hasn't wrestled that many singles matches, so I wonder what this is going to look like. And he's not in the ring with a Susumu. He's in the ring with Punch, which is an uphill battle to say the least. And so they do the right thing. They get in and they get out. And then at the end, Estrella does a 450, basically feet first onto a, uh, uh, onto Tamanago's rib cage. And you go, yep, Estrella is still a work in progress. Yeah, really, this explained everything about Estrella in 50 seconds. Like, I think that he definitely is going to have promise. Like, you can't watch this guy and think, like, okay, this, the, the, this guy is just going to be a mess. But he... He shows a lot more growing pains than most people at his point. Like, I was tough on Dragon Dia, and I feel like that it was something that he, like, proved his worth, and he became, like, a suitable heir to the Dragon Legacy, and now we're going to see where he is now unmasked. Estrella, I don't think my opinion of him has changed that much. I I thought that he is someone that has his moments that he looks fantastic, and then he has moments where he looks really out of his depths. And, you know, it's something that I, I want to see more consistency out of him. And we had a very solid stretch out of him, you know, that Triangle Gate run. He was doing the best work of his career so far. But then afterwards and around that, I mean, he's he, he's had some stinkers. Like, there's no way to sugarcoat it. He's had some really bad performances and yeah he he could do an imploding 450 but he does a 450 where he lands knees first on someone's stomach and dragon gate that doesn't fly so i don't know he's still work in progress i'm still i hope he irons out his uh big uh the the gaps he has and cleans it up to be frank uh, unless we get some sort of revelation with him I feel like we have seen arguably his peak, and that's a tough thing to say about a guy who's one year into his career, but he was in a unit that catered to his in-ring style. He was given focus, he was pushed, and more importantly, he was protected, all right? He was after a really rough March, April, May, highlighted by that dreadful performance at Dead or Alive, which was, you know, a big match on a big show, and he did not deliver. He spent the next six months attached at the hip to Diamante. That was not a mistake. And we talked about how good those two were together and how it was such an intentional effort to rectify Estrella's mistakes that he made in the winter and spring of 2021. I don't know, given his current presentation, if there's a lot of upward trajectory in his future. I think he's going to be the third guy on a Triangle Gate team. He's going to be a guy that as his career goes along, I think he's going to find himself more and more in your random guy, eight-man opening tag matches where maybe he's going to be the one pinning Yosuke Santa Maria or Problem Dragon and eventually working himself up to maybe a Brave Gate match here and there and obviously a number of Triangle Gate matches throughout the year. But I feel like 
we've seen the best version of him. Unless something gets dramatically better, this is who he is. And it certainly uh, has a, there's certainly a spot on the roster for him, but it's, I'm not waiting for him to put it all together. I'm not waiting for the next step of his career. I think this is who he is and I'm, I'm fine with that, but it's a very realistic look at who he is and where he's going. Yeah, because his ceiling at this point is Bravegate Challenger, I would say. And I don't think that that's me being unfair. But being like the third or the second in a twin and triangle gate team, that's kind of what I expect out of it. And given his presentation and given his style, I don't know necessarily how you refine it anymore other than clean it up, you know? Yeah, I don't see if they bestow the Bravegate belt upon him. Let's say, because I like the chemistry that SB Kento and Estrella have had when they've wrestled. Let's say, you know, just to, to really hammer this comparison home, let's say at Dead or Alive this year, they have Estrella beat SB Kento for the Bravegate belt. I don't see Estrella being capable of having a Flamita-like run with that brave gate belt where all of a sudden they clear the lane. They say, this is your title, have your style of match. He's not at that level that Flamita was at, at in 2014 at 20 years old or however old he was. It was not much older than 20. If he was, he doesn't have that sort of talent in him right now. So I'm not really holding out for that at some point in his career. Could he win the brave gate belt? Absolutely. It wouldn't shock me, but I don't expect it to be this jaw dropping thing. Like it was when Flamita won the belt. Yeah, I, I think that's a real fair way to put it. And it's something that it, as we've seen through some people that have come through recently, if you can't keep, if you can't keep up, you're just going to get kind of left by the wayside. And I'm not saying that I think Estrella is going to get passed by by Takuma Fujiwara, but I mean, we know how the dojo operates. We know that it's basically a superstar machine. There's going to be new people after new people. There's no, there's no reason to believe that the uh, spigot is going to go dry here. And it's going to be tough for him, just the same way that it was tough for Ochi Shiba. You know, like, like that's the person I kind of go back to. Like, Ochi got lapped several times over. And never really could come back from that. So Estrella, you know, like, like I think he deserves to be on the roster, to be clear. I don't think that he should leave. But it's something that you look at the people on the come up and you're just like, oh, wow. Someone like Shoya Sato already feels like a complete wrestler right now. I don't think we could say that about La Estrella a year in. No, because if Estrella regresses, if his 2022 starts off really shaky... Hayakawa's in that spot. Hayakawa can be the short guy that takes a beating and does a few spectacular spots. Hayakawa's headlock takeover flash pad is arguably the most exciting spot in Drangate right now, okay? Estrella can be replaced. There's so much depth on this roster. And again, like you said, there's no reason to believe as of now that it's not going to continue, that if you're not careful, if you're in one of these precarious predicaments on the roster like La Estrella is, you could be passed over very soon. And speaking about the master of the headlock takeover, take that in, JF. The next match was the gut check for the uh, class of 2021, as it was Don Fuji, Misaki Mochizuki, Shuji Kanda, Yazushi Kanda, I'm sorry, Shuji Kondo and Yazushi Kanda versus Ryu Fuda, Shoya Sato, Takuma Fujiwara, and the aforementioned Aku- Takumi Hayakawa. 
the year and it was gut check time case this was the this was the time where like that that you go in there and you're going to get your ass kicked for a whole lot and it's going to end with Yasushi Kata coming down with the heaviest diving elbow drop possible on Hayakawa to finish this class's it's not a protest, but it's kind of, it, I, I say gut check. It's kind of, it's like, all right, you got to get through this. Everyone does. And I don't call it hazing, but I call it like this, this match is very important for each class to have, but it's, it's not a easy watch if you're not prepared for one of these gut check matches. It's my favorite style of match there is. Perhaps that makes me a bad person, but there's no more successful formula in wrestling than old grumpy veterans beating the life out of a bunch of youngsters. I adored this match for what it was. I haven't talked to you about it, though. I'm curious, of these four rookies, who stood out to you the most here? Well, I felt like this match was built around Shoya Sato. Yes. I I felt very clearly he had the focus here. And the reason why I say these matches are important, not just from like a, we all went through this, like like that kind of thing. These matches are what derive like fan support. Like, that's when... Sora Fujikawa during one of those got such big crowd cheers that they had to say, guys, we, you can't cheer right now. It's important for these uh, young wrestlers to start forming the connections with the fan base. And for me, they set this match up that Soya, that Shoya Sato is the one who got the rub there. And he, he came across as the head of the class here. Like that's why I said he's the most complete wrestler. Cause it feels like that he has like the least holes in his game. And he's also someone that, given his age and his size, he he has the ability to move up a lot faster than, like, Fujiwara. Yes, no, I think we're going to get a Sato push before we know it, because you hit it on the head. He is someone who, because of his age and size, he has a lot of benefits coming his way because of that, but it's also a real sink or swim time for him, because he doesn't exactly have five years to figure himself out like, say, Hyo did. You know, we were very high on Hyo from his debut. This podcast specifically, we've been called out for it in the past. But it took five years for Hyo to figure out, you know, this run that he's on now, which is undoubtedly the most successful run he's had in his career. For Sato, he's got to put it together quick, and he needs to figure it out now. And the good news is that with his age and size, he is wrestling like someone of his age and size. He so far is passing every test that I would want from him at this early stage in his career. I thought he was very, very good in this match, and I like that they are seemingly going to continue pairing him with Fuji for the time being because I think that's going to bring out the best in Sato going forward. Yeah, and the other aspect is, like, with him being this high-level judo player, you don't necessarily go, like, oh, this is a kid, like, Kendo Kabune, who just is, like, natural. This is someone that, like, he is a master in his style, so he should be able to, like, get people even outside their experience level with, like, his judo throws, which I think is also something that's an added benefit for him going forward as well. He's wrestling like an adult, and for as good as Fuda and Hayakawa and Fujiwara are— those are children, and it certainly comes across, especially in the case of, say, maybe a Hayakawa, again, just because of his age and size. But for Sato, for as close as this class has been and for as much as Jay hammered that point home here, it comes across like Sato is 
one of the boys, but also not one of the boys, if that makes sense. And and I think that's yeah. a good thing. I wouldn't want him. I wouldn't want him in Ryu Fuda coming across the same on these shows. It's good that Sato is being given the spotlight, and it's good that, at least in my opinion, he is succeeding in that spotlight so far. Case, I am loath to correct you. Uh, Takumi Hayakawa is the third oldest person in this class. He, he oh He's god. either 24 or 25. <laughs> oh my god. The, the, I, the look, poor he's, guy. He's super talented, but oh my god. Oh no. Yeah, yeah, I was yeah. hoping you were going to tell me he was 16. I mean, if he was 16, they'll be going like, well, shit, okay. Like, keep him <laughs> maybe, around maybe by the time. Maybe he'll grow a few inches. <laughs> right, yeah, no, I think he is going to be five foot one, the plight of the short king. He is a short king, though, you know. Well, we respect and we lift up our our others in our fight against uh, height discrimination. So, you know Look, what? Look, I Hell love yeah. Aaron Bentley. I have short friends, okay? Hayakawa is okay with <laughs> I, me. I have short friends. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> the, 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 that line is going to be a line that's going to crack me up two weeks from now. Uh, I just, like, with, like, these matches, it just is, like, really cool how they immediately pair it off. Like, Fuji and Sato, as you said. Uh, Fuda, Mochizuki, we've seen that before. Kondo and Fujiwara was a lot of fun because because the nice thing about Fujiwara is until he fills out, Kondo can just use him like a rag doll, and he did so. And then Kondo and Hayakawa just kind of fit in a way that, like, it made sense why they were kind of the emphasis on the closing stretch in a way. I, I really dug, like, those two's chemistry together. Yeah, I am notoriously lower on Kanda than most, but I saw it in the Yahashi Brothers debut, and it was certainly on display here, where he does have real value as one of the aging veterans against this young class. This is as much as I've enjoyed Kanda in a very long time, and I, I thought the, the pairing of him and Hayakawa was very interesting. I wasn't sure how that was going to mesh, but they crushed it as well. A everybody here did a really, really good job of playing their role. And we saw, you know, again, we saw Fujiwara take a beating, and we saw Hayakawa as this plucky underdog, and we saw Fuda and Moshi trade kicks, and we saw Sato be the leader of this group. Everybody played their role really, really well. Was it as good as 12-1-16, a match that Mike and I reference all the time? No, it was not. But you know what? Most matches in the history of professional wrestling were not as good as 12-1-16. To me, that's not an indictment on this class. It just proves how magical the rookies versus veterans tag five years ago was. Yeah, no, this is a three and three quarter star match. It's the best match Dragon Gate had all week. It's worth going out of your way for. Like, it, 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 things aren't going to to be the same as 12-1-16, even though they really try to run it back as much as possible it doesn't diminish the overall concept of it it's just that's a special match for a special time this match maybe in hindsight maybe five years from now in 2026 we'll think back to this match a little bit and, and place it with 12 1 16 but for now it's not there yet but it's still amazing. I, I, I said in my review the next 10 years of this promotion defined in one match if you're someone who's, you know, ah, I pay attention to Dragon Gate, I but there's new guys and people are moving around and I don't I don't know what's going on. Watch this match and watch the English commentary version because Jay crushed it with explaining who everybody was, what their backgrounds are, what you can expect from them. 
a masterful performance by Jay in the booth and a great match. And I love the post-match. I thought it was very interesting that the veteran showed as much respect to this rookie class as they did. And then Fuji went in to shake Sato's hand and Sato slapped his hand away. And Mike, I don't know if you remember this, but in the theme of sticking with anniversaries and comparing this class to the class of 2016, not a lot of people remember this match because of what happened right afterwards. But Final Gate 2016, there was a Mochi Fuji versus Kaito Ishida and Takahiro Yamamura match that I think oh, yeah. is one of the most vicious matches in the history of Dragon Gate. I mean, Mochi Fuji beat the shit out of these two kids. And it gets lost to history because Ishida got hurt the next month and then Yamamura blew up. And we unfortunately know how that story ended. So it's it's a match that unlike, you know, 12-1-16, where that launched Benkei and Skywalker and Yoshioka pretty much, you know, immediately after that, they all started to find their place on the roster. That Mochi Fuji versus Ashida and Yamamura match gets lost to history because it doesn't really have that historical significance. But if you can track that match down, I just looked, of course, it's not on the network. I don't know why. But if you can track that match down, it is well worth your time. And I hope that we're leading to either a tag or trios or another eight man version of that match at final gate this year. I think that would be well worth everybody's time. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, with, with where the rookies are at in the state of the roster, they should be having one of those matches. Basically each town should have one of these matches. I think that would do everyone a massive service to do so get fan support amongst the uh, loop. And then, you know, I mean, great way of using everyone on the cards. I'm totally with you on that. Uh, it's it's just fascinating like thinking about that because as soon as you mentioned final gate i was like i know which match you're talking about you're you're talking about the match where it looked like that some elderly people committed a crime against youngsters there there were some kicks in that match that again uh, i wasn't kicks there. To, like it's, Ishida's face <laughs> yeah. yeah like it's not like i was in fukuoka it's not like i was wrestling mochizuki and fuji on that night and there are some kicks from that match that five years later they'll hit me like a ptsd fever dream every once in a while and i just shudder as i'm walking down halstead avenue in chicago it's like oh boy final gate 2016 oh my god oh no yeah geez uh case i just had a tweet come across you want some breaking news right now oh no are people making fun of us again no, no, no. Uh, okay, go oh, ahead. We we have some dr- DG USA news, as we have oh, a match. No. <laughs> we have a match signed for GCW Till Infinity on New Year's Eve. It is Ho Ho Loon versus Jimmy Lloyd. God damn it! I don't want to watch Jimmy Lloyd wrestle. <laughs> oh, I saw I, I I saw this, and that was my reaction. So I so I needed to be confirmed. I need to be confirmed in my beliefs there, but yep. So that's what that's how Brett's using Ho Ho Loon. That sounds great. I mean, look, Ho Ho's Ho Ho's gonna kill it. I I wish he was wrestling PCO or somebody, but Ho Ho's gonna kill it. I genuinely hope Ho Ho's enjoying his time in America. I think he was in Louisiana or Missouri a few nights ago, and I thought, oh no, somebody get him out of there. <laughs> that's not I, very I, nice to send Ho Ho Loon to America and to send him to Missouri. But okay. Yeah, I mean, come on. If you send them out my way, we're going to go get ice cream. God, GCW sucks. I this I know this is not the <laughs> podcast for it, but I, I fucking hate this promotion. I, I, can't, I can't believe they sold out Hammerstein. I don't get it. I don't like anything that they do. 
I mean, th- there's a void, and they fill a void. That's the way I kind of look at it. <laughs> and I and I think they're I think they're going to be bad for indie wrestling in the long term. I mean, they are the antithesis of Drangate, whereas Drangate is a company that is professional. They know what they're mm-hmm. doing. I trust them. Every GCW show, I just I just hate them. And I'm I'm happy guys work there and they seem to like it. I'm happy they have a fan base that adores them. I do not get it. I just I do not understand the appeal at all. But more power to them. Yeah, no, it's it, it it's a real case of this is the world we live in. Like like that's my big conclusion there. It's just the world we live in. It's just someone's gonna fill the void. And it had to be Brett Lauderdale, I guess. I mean, it's the, just, the I just wo- act like a fucking professional. These shows come across so rinky dink to me. I hate it. I hate what they do. I mean, hey, as someone who spent 50 episodes be- bemoaning Gabe Sapolsky's production acumen, I am not going to say that what Brett does is indicative of what a third promotion should be. Like, God, it's, I mean, the one of the few people I think is Sapolsky who won out the flow same deal. I feel like that's undeniable, but yeah. Yeah, GCW. Uh, I have I have something though that's gonna get you right back into a good mood, case. All right, hit me with it. All right, so the next match: High End versus the Large Adult Sons of Ishin and Riki Ahashi. It was Kagatora and Keisuke Okuda. Okuda. It was Kagatora getting the pen this time on Riki with a sheer drop brainbuster, and what was a absolute blast of a match. Give me your star rating on this. I'm curious to see what you thought of this match. Three and a quarter. You know, I okay. thought it was. I thought it, I thought it was very good. Yeah, three and a quarter. I, I was just. I, I wasn't sure if we were going to be super off or not because I went three and a half on this. And although Ishinihashi was fine, Kagatora had a good night. Whatever. This is a three and a half star rating based entirely off of the Kaisuke Okuda and Riki Ihashi interactions, where Okuda, as we discussed last week, has had a very rough few months between a a what I believe is a real life injury and then two really embarrassing MMA losses in the span of two months, and then the fact that you know he's just lost his mojo in Dragon Gate. It seems like last year he had such a defined place on the card, and this year he hasn't exactly had that going for him. He took all of that anger out on Ricky Hashi and their chemistry is electric. Yeah. It, it's something where my note was Ricky and Akuda sheesh, because it just <laughs> like, I think this actually is a person on the roster that Riku Hashi has the best chemistry with. And a lot of it is just the power out of him chopping back and getting his ass kicked. And it worked really well and made best. I feel like Akuda's looked in a drawing gate ring since, I don't know, uh, the Kobe Kenan Hall doubleheader, I think that's fair to say. Like This is, this is like one of the first times in a long time that it felt like that Okuda had a place and wasn't just like doing MMA things, you know? I don't have an Okuda match over four stars since May 15th of this year, which was him and Yamato at that Fukuoka King of Gate show where they did basically a hard-hit match in the middle of a Dragon Gate ring, and I thought it was awesome, but... That that is impressive, uh, or I guess the opposite of impressive. That's worrisome. Where you know he's been on a lot of cards, he's been in a lot of big matches, a lot of big main events with high end since May, and boy, he has just not not delivered this year. Yeah, and I think that's kind of the thing. It's just he's going to be someone that like you have to play his game because he's evidently not going to just mold himself completely into the roster in a way like it works it really works with Kaido Ishida 
it really works with like Yamato, but those are people who are willing to play the game. And I think that that might be a little bit of the divergence about Okuda is that if you're someone that like likes the style, you're you're going to be here for Okuda punching, kicking his way through. But it's something that stands out when you like you have like these eight man high end tags, and all Okuda does is is same MMA stuff and doesn't really fold into the fabric of the match whatsoever. And at this point, it sticks out a lot more than it did before. And I don't think I'm well, being unfair in saying that. No, not at all. It's why I like Fuda so much in that Kyoto tag, because he was wrestling Shimizu, Kame, and Yokosuka. And obviously, you know, Shimizu is a guy that can hit hard. It's not really what he's known for. And Yokosuka is a guy that obviously between his matches with Shingo and Mochizuki and just what he's shown throughout his entire career, he's a guy that lends himself to that hard-hitting strike-first style. But what I liked about Fuda so much in that match was that Fuda worked a Dragon Gate match with kicking offense, if that makes sense. I phrased that poorly. I ran out of words for just a half second there. But Fuda worked a Dragon Gate match with with within his own unique style. And Akuda is working Akuda matches in Dragon Gate. And there there was a big difference between those two things. Yeah, yeah. And I think that that's really, I think the divergence there is being able to do those separate things and be able to mold them in. And I don't think he really necessarily can. I thought Kagator was, was awesome in this too. You know I mean? Kagator and Ishin had their bit that I thought was a whole lot of fun. And, you know, this future class, like I'm glad there are so many of them because it kind of like, they're, they, it takes matches. Like if this was just like Kagatora and Okuda versus, I don't know, uh, Horiguchi and Susumu. Not a bad match. That's a match we've probably seen a lot before, but this is something like that's new and vibrant, and we get to see people progress. And I will always be a sucker for that. I completely agree. Next match, the semi-main event was a three-way tag. This is this one was done under traditional Dragon Gate three-way team matches. Sometimes lately they've been doing one fall to a finish, but this one was both teams have to be eliminated to finish the match. The teams were uh, Big R. R I was calling Big R because he's now back to Big Boss. When he was King Shimizu, I'd never had this problem case. I never had the problem. It was like Ryotsu or any of this. But now he's Big Boss. I'm immediately going Big R. No, it's not Big R. It's Big Boss Shimizu and UT uh, of Natural Vibes. The Twin Gate Champions, Naruki Doi and Takashi Yoshida. And then RED's SB Kento and Diamante. The falls were UT penning Kento, which was a big kind of shocker in a, in a way and then immediately right after red got all pissed off and they uh had a no contest because they just all started kicking everyone's ass and they threw the match out so we had we had we had like 10 good minutes and then it just all went to hell case i don't care about this match we need to talk about the post match immediately mike you have the floor explain what naruki doi did so Naruki Doi took the microphone afterwards and was like, yep, we're not doing Doi darts, just not feeling Doi darts this year. The crowd kind of went, aww, because everyone wants to see Doi darts. Everyone loves Doi darts. But he's like, but I've been reading. And I think that's a very dangerous thing, I guess, when Naruki Doi starts reading, because he gets ideas. But he read an article that was recently published about the rise of fans, of female fans in Japan. And that's something that if you are a even like a short-term Dragon Gate fan, you pick up on the, the fact that Dragon Gate's fan base is predominantly women. It used to be even more predominantly women, but as people grow older, they have families, and they start bringing their husbands and kids to wrestling. But Naruki Adoi points out that Dragon Gate, knowing this, has always been strong in the female demographic. He then looked out in the crowd and he said, 
we need to get more women up in here. 90% women, too many dudes in here. And that's why he's creating what I'm calling until we get an actual name, because I love the cadence of this, Naruki Doi's House of Hot Boys. And you know the actual unit name is going to be even more ridiculous than that. They're going to they're gonna pull some favors from the English language and create something absurd. I love this it's so, so much. Good. It's so good. <laughs> this is so good. <laughs> it, 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 the, the thing that gets me is, like, of course, Naruki Doi's going to be the person that says this. Like, everyone's like, oh, Doi doesn't have a unit yet. Doi doesn't have a unit yet yet at the end of the year the last show in tokyo of the year he's like guys i'm forming a new unit and everyone has a collective sigh of relief he's just like but i've been reading and then everyone's like well, okay yeah. it's like and everyone's like holding it on bated breath and it's like it's all gonna be hot dudes who want more women and everyone just goes yay nurki doi <laughs> it's perfect like of course nurki doi is gonna lead nurki doi's house of hot boys would Kota Minora have been your pick, the, the first pick in the first round of the Drangate Hot Boy draft? I mean, out of the people that were there, like, yeah, he's first overall. You, you know, he's the first, he, he's the number one draft pick in Dragon Gate USA's Hot Boy draft, if you will, you know? And, and it made sense. He asked, uh, Naruki Doi asked Kota Minora to join his unit, and Kota Minora looked flustered look kind of uncomfortable and he said i'm still technically in masquerade but uh thanks and that was the segment <laughs> just like after a match that was kind of deflating having that like brought a smile to my face like i i'm i have an image for what nuruki doi's house of hot boys has to be for their logo oh what's that oh it needs to be like ihop <laughs> It, it, like IHOP needs Waffle House. They're all going to be dressed like uh, uh, like diner waiters. You know, they're all going to have like the little hats, and you know, it's going to be Naruki Doi's House of Hot Boys. You know, Yosuke San Maria should join. She could be a she could be a part of the wait staff there. I mean, like, come on. Like, I just think that this is there's a lot of gold here in Naruki Doi's House of Hot Boys. That's actually a great point. Maria should be the the fall post in this unit. I had not thought about that, but that. That needs to happen. It's interesting. You know, I feel like in, in Western fandom with Drangate, there's kind of two sections. There's people that listen to this podcast, and then there's people that are primarily focused on how hot these wrestlers are. And I and I like those people. I'm oh, trying yeah. to infiltrate that side of the fandom more because I think there's a lot of people in there with really interesting opinions. And again, I like them, but I, I'm not in that group, and I feel like I'm not in that group, and I feel like this is a section that the show is – it's ground that we don't necessarily cover all the time. So at Open Voice Gate on Twitter, please let us know with the first pick in the 2021 Naruki Doi Hot Boy Draft, who do you select? Because Mike says Coach Minora. I'm looking at the roster right now. I think Minora is a good pick. I wouldn't begrudge anybody that's at SB Kento. I wouldn't begrudge anybody that said Jason Lee. I think Jason Lee's very good looking, good for him. I am going with a diamond in the rough. I'm going with someone new, Mike. I think if I was going to pick a hot boy on this roster, I am going with Takuma Fujiwara. Oh, I think that that that's someone that's going to project into a hot boy. You know, yeah, I, a good good value oh, no, no. there. Do, do I do I need to take him in the first pick? No, I could have gotten him in round number four, but I like yeah. him so much. He fits into my organization. I need him now. Yeah, because you know he's just going to blossom into potentially being an all star hot boy. 
Like, like he, you just like look at him. He has the fundamentals. He's going to grow into it. You know, he's going to become more comfortable in his role of being a hot boy. And you know, I think that fourth round draft pick Takuma Takuma Fujiwara. I think that that's where you go with that. I think you mentioned this in the in the review. The one person that I think we all know who's going to end up in there is going to be the unmasked dragon Daya. He's going to be the, he'd be the second round draft pick. You got to get your franchise off the board. You got to get Kota Minora first. But then you're, you're going to be like, but now dragon Daya. And then, you know, the uh, 2021 hot boy draft goes wild for that draft pick. And that is the important part. And I'm glad you mentioned that here. Yes, this is super entertaining. There's a lot of fun that could be had with this unit. But the storytelling that we are both on the same page uh, of this going towards, of this leading to the unmasked dragon Daya being the focal point of this unit is brilliant. This is classic dragon gate storytelling this is why i love this promotion naruki doi says let's form a group of hot boys and dragon daya who all we've heard is how good looking he is under the mask is now unmasked waiting to return and he is going to come into this unit as the hot boy that is tremendous stuff why do i feel like that this was that i think you could leave babies of the year segment that we just had <laughs> Because it was. <laughs> it was. I'm going to be thinking about Naruki Doi's House of Hot Boys for a long time. Just, just, just not even the unit, just the name, Naruki Doi's House of Hot Boys. It just cracks me up. Uh, what didn't crack me up was the main event, Pinke and Yamato versus BB Hulk and Kai. Yamato got the win. Uh, it was abrupt, a uh, Frankensteiner of the Almighty after a first flash. Boy, this just wasn't it. This was bad. This is horrible. I I hated this. And it's it's one of those deals where like I can't I can't get too upset about it because I'm sure Yamato and Kai are gonna crush it at Final Gate. This is just the pattern that Yamato has developed. Bad build, horrible build, terrible build, all of these builds end in great matches. So I, I can't exert the energy of getting upset at this Yamato run right now. Unless that Kai match fails to deliver in Fukuoka, but I, I don't think it will. I think it'll probably be a pretty good match. Yeah, it's just one of those things that, like, if they didn't already have the no ropes match, I'd be like, all right, this feels like the legitimate blow off here. Like, they weren't teasing this as, like, the final blow off, and then it was not the final blow off. Maybe I'd be a little bit more positive here, but we also just had, like, the, the this match, the, like, the closing stretch, like, botching the double first flash on Yamato and then Yamato then just hulking up and getting the Frankensteiner and getting us out of here. It just was, it, it, it was very clear at this point that this match, like whatever they were doing, like it was here to like push this match in front of the Tokyo audience. Like that's fine. Like that's what you need to do yet. You that's your headline match at your final big show of the year. You don't know if people are going to probably not going to be coming in for Fukuoka, but you want to make sure that they, that they subscribe to the network for the match. Uh, it's just very, very, just like, it was very low-key, and it never really became outside low-key. The stretch got okay until the finish, and it just was not good. It was it was a two-star, one-and-three-quarter star, you can make the argument for, main event of the final cork of the year for Dragon Gate. Just frustrating. Unfortunately, as we've talked about so much on this podcast this year, the main events in these cork and hall shows have just been a little awkward and part of that was because of the curfew that was in place for the first half of the year but part of that has just been the guys involved in the booking in those matches 
And this was another one that unfortunately fit that criteria where it just did not send me, I was going to say the fans, but at least it did not send me home feeling satisfied and uh, happy with what I had watched. It was just a, a, a nightmare of a main event. I felt like they were working at half speed. If this was a match that was in Kyoto, you know, third from the top, I don't know if I would have minded it as much, but this was the main event of Cork and Hall, and they did not wrestle with the urgency of a main event in Cork and Hall. A very, very disappointing finish to this match. And when you have a show that overall really enjoyed the show, to be clear, like there was a lot of good stuff on this show, should be required viewing to watch Class of 2021 versus Vets. But when you have a show, they have eight matches on the show. One of the matches has multiple falls. And you nothing really gets an extreme amount of time because of that. A triangle gate match, because you have eight matches on the show, only goes eight minutes and 41 seconds. You have a match that's 50 seconds on the show. You have another match that's five minutes on the show. But when you like you have all this happening and you end a show like that, after eight matches to have that kind of main event, it's the flating. And I don't think I'm being unfair when I'm saying that. When you like you look at like usually Cork and Hall shows case, six matches, four matches before intermission, two matches after. The match before intermission gets a good amount of time and the semi main and main event get a lot of time. But that's not the Dragon Gate we're working with now. We're working with a Dragon Gate that has a huge roster now that they're getting everyone ring time who needs ring time, which is good. Like just saying like that that's the strategy right here. But then you put on a match like this to end the year. And it's deflating. Absolutely. Because, you know, again, like you said, I'll echo your thoughts here. Very good show. Very bad main event. You hate to see their run in Cork and Hall this year and like that. And then you, you have the semi-main event. L- l- like the last two matches on the show were very deflating. <laughs> I'm just like looking at the results right now. And I'm just kind of just looking at my notes. And I'm like, man, like the last 45 minutes of the show, with the exception of Naruki Doi's House of Hot Boys, was not a very strong lasting memory for Dragon Gate in Tokyo in 2021. Yeah, but what can you do? On to Fukuoka and the final gate 2021 and then the eventual finale in Kobe Sambo Hall next week. The last of gate. I didn't realize they called it the last of gate until Jay mentioned that. But yeah, so next week we're going to preview final gate. We'll probably touch on some other things as we are one to do and then we'll close out the year reviewing the final big show of the year, Final Gate from Fukuoka and the Kobe Sambo Hall show. That'll be two weeks after Christmas. But Case, unless you got anything, let's get out of here. I think that's going to be it for me. Yep, that will do it. Oh, before we go, I guested on Andrew Rich's Music of the Map podcast. Again, it was Masters of Dragon Gate talking. A lot of actually masquerade themes. A lot of masquerade and a lot of new RED themes. It's always a good time. So check that out if you're interested. Andrew has a really interesting show. I think the the format of it is fascinating. It's always a blast to do that with him. But you can follow us on Twitter at OpenVoiceGate. I almost said I'm at underscore in your case. I got my booster earlier today, folks. This is my flu game. Uh, I'm at (laughs) Fujiheya. Case is at underscore in your case. That's going to do it for Open the Voice Gate. We'll be back with you next week previewing Final Gate. Take care. 
Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.